What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and in the mind of everyone else in the real estate and property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, your behavior, to get control of your thought processes, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are, episode 25. Last week, I was talking about fire safety and uh, the opportunities I have come across because of fire safety issues in the past. And uh, this week, I'm going to be speaking with Thomas O'Connell of Moby Move, which is a new bike sharing scheme here in my hometown of Dublin. And why is a real estate guy bringing up micro mobility and bike sharing on his real estate podcast? Well, funny you should ask. Bike sharing and micro mobility has come starkly into focus in recent weeks, um, certainly for me uh, and my role in East Point, because with COVID-19, habits are changing rapidly. And I believe about a half a decade of consumer behavior and uh, attitudes and habits and stuff have changed in the last six months from COVID-19. And we're seeing it very noticeably with our own shuttle in the um, in the business park. Last January, we would have been transporting about three and a half thousand people a day. Currently, we are transporting 35 people a day. So it's a, a pretty dramatic fall, like that's a 99% fall. And a lot of people have instead decided that they're going to walk and bike because they don't want to take public transport. And this, of course, is meaning that habits are changing fast and we as a service provider are having to react quickly. So we're starting to look at bikes and bike sharing and all that kind of stuff. So before I get into it, I thought I would just give you a quick update on where things are at. The Facebook group is currently at 233 members. And I certainly recommend that you guys join us there, the uh, Behind the Facade community. It's, uh, it's a good place for us all to connect. And if you have questions, specific topics you want me to um, talk about here on the podcast, I'm only happy, only delighted to meet with you on the, um, in the Facebook group. Uh, anything else I would like to add? Um, yes, just reviews and things of that nature. Uh, I've, a few people, a few of you listeners have been very good and have left some nice reviews and given some five-star ratings for the podcast. If you have time to do that today, it would be fantastic. Just really helps with us getting the discovery through the algorithm and um, every little review makes a difference. So as I said today, um, bike sharing and e-scooters and all of that, I'm seeing them everywhere I look these days. And um, as, a, as a landlord, the tenant loyalty you can create from goodwill from providing top-notch services. That can make the difference between someone deciding to move out of your building and um, choosing to stay in your building. And so that is one of the reasons with our online, with our bus service in the park, now that it is so severely curtailed and the winds of change very much looking towards bike sharing and things like that, we are looking at ways we can improve our own services just to make sure that our occupiers have the best possible experience and they don't have a reason to be complaining about 
you know, a lack of services or, or not even, not, it may not even be the occupiers, it may be the staff who work for the occupiers. And one of the biggest things that the occupiers are trying to do is re- recruit and retain staff. There is a massive war for talent out there. Uh, at least there was before COVID-19. I don't imagine that it's gone away. They still want to hang on to their best people. And so anything you can do to make your, your, your building or your location more attractive, easier to reach, all of that, it does make a big difference. And one of the small little things I've noticed is storage. We have a, a number of buildings in the park and I speak to the tenant uh, representatives on a regular enough basis and they were telling me that you know is there any way we can create storage for the new scooters that everyone are arriving in because unlike bikes they don't want to lock them outside i don't think you can lock a a scooter very easily compared to a bike um you know the way they're kind of designed there's not many points that you can actually lock a chain around without being able to slip that off easy enough and so people tend to bring them into the building and tend to get sort of parked under their desk which is a bit of a trip hazard and so on and so on so i'm hearing a lot about scooters and the storage of them and just i'm seeing so many bikes on the road these days it's incredible and it takes me back to a visit to amsterdam i did about i don't know about five years ago and i visited a place called the student hotel and this was back when i was very much interested in the student housing market and I was looking at raising money with some friends of mine. We were going to do a fund that was going to be a student accommodation fund. And we wanted to have a look at the different examples out there, particularly in Europe, that are very successful. And we met the CEO and founder, Charlie McGregor, of the Student Hotel. And if you guys have not heard of it, I thoroughly recommend you go and check it out. You can check it out online, but it's it's just an amazing place to see um, just a different take you know, thinking outside of the box, I'm always talking about being resourceful. Charlie and his team have built something really, really interesting in Amsterdam. And um, when I was in the basement of his uh, building, and this was a former office building that they had converted into student housing, um, but instead of it being a typical student housing place, they actually turned it into a hotel where you can rent the room. So I, as a, I, I could arrive as a non-student and just book a night in the hotel. So that doesn't have to be, you don't have to be a student, but it is next to a student or next to a university campus. So it was mostly students that were interested and they could take it for a, you know, a year long lease if they wanted and they would pay student accommodation prices or you could take it for one night like you know if a visiting parent or a visiting professor would take it for a night or a week or whatever it is and they would get accommodation rates that are kind of pretty much in that region so very interesting way but why am i bringing this up um charlie took me down to his basement and in the basement they had this whole bicycle storage area and i'm not joking there must have been 500 bicycles in that place but every single one of them was branded the student hotel and I'm not talking cheap, you know, uh, crappy bikes. These were really, really stylish looking bikes. And if you go and, uh, in fact, I'll put a note, I'll put a link on the, um, on the, uh, in the show notes showing these bikes. They were very cool, very kind of uh, avant-garde. And the, these guys would be cycling around. If you, if you had a room in the hotel, you automatically had a key to one of these bikes. And that was the kind of service that Charlie was providing. And it was very cool. 
and also the fact that it was dry stored stored dry in the basement like completely out of the rain and all that so it was a whole different way of looking at things and of course Amsterdam is well known for the amount of bikes out there and then just thought I'd add in the tip of the week that um, I was just going to suggest is and if you're looking at buying a commercial property um, sort of say it's going to be a convenience store or food and beverage outlet one of the things to remember is that locations next to bus stops and things of that nature have always done better than other locations so if you're if you're you know looking to rent a shop to a a convenience store or a you know pharmacy or whatever it is they always do better the closer to the bus stop because people get off the bus and the first thing they do is go in to buy their newspaper or whatever it is they're out and about to go and get and the closest place to the bus stop is the place now with the habits changing because of COVID-19, I suspect we're going to start to see that bicycles and bike parking and scooter parking and securing your scooter or your bike, all of that, and even availability of bikes and stuff, that is suddenly going to come into focus now. If, if people are going to be traveling less on public transport and opting to go and travel on a bike or a scooter, then these locations, like having a shop with or a cafe or whatever with a bike parking area at the back or conveniently at the rear whatever it is that could be the difference between your shop being the one that gets the you know the, the most customers if your shop is getting if the if the guy you're renting to is getting more customers he has a higher turnover if he has a higher turnover he can afford a higher rent and if he can afford a higher rent then your property has just become more valuable so just thinking about you guys also out there, anyone who's building apartment buildings or houses or anything of that nature, bike access and storage. And uh, today's conversation with Thomas, he actually goes into the fact that he believes that there's actually new rules going to come coming out, that a bike sharing scheme must be part of your scheme. Uh, that remains to be seen, but uh, I haven't heard of that myself yet, but I, I'm not, I don't have my finger on the pulse the way Thomas would when it comes to micro mobility. And uh, so anyway, just it's it's something to just all of this gets factored in when somebody is looking to buy a property and they're kind of kind of uh, like a tenant or a consumer or whatever. All of this stuff gets factored into the decision making access to, you know, to a train or to a bus stop or to easy access to bicycle uh, sharing schemes and things like that all makes it a bit easier to make that final decision. And lastly, um, well, anyway, look, let's just get into the conversation with Thomas. So Thomas is the founder of Moby Move, and it's a bike sharing scheme. He is the founder of the business and the CEO. And so I go into a little bit of his backstory. We're talking about his um, previous experience selling bicycle products and uh, wheeled goods, as he calls it. And he gets into the struggles of the business. He gets into financing. He gets into product sourcing and all of that. And I've linked a lot of the stuff he references in the show notes before so guys without any further ado i'd like to introduce you now to thomas o'connell thank you so today we're going to be speaking with thomas o'connell and thomas runs a uh, he's the founder and ceo of a pot uh, i was going to say a podcast he's the founder and ceo of a company that does bike share and it's uh, electronic um bikes um e-bikes as we call them now and it's called moby and I asked uh, Thomas to join us here today to talk about um, the future of um, micro mobility and um, where he is positioning his business in the Irish market for now. But we'll talk about 
future expansion plans. Thomas, welcome. Thank you. Um, first, I thought for a bit of context, perhaps the audience would just like a little bit of backstory. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your, your kind of upbringing and what brought you to where we are today? Yeah, um, I suppose I've actually been, uh, when I left college, I've been involved in, I call it wheeled goods, but I've been involved in wheeled goods um, for about 18 years now. Um, started out as a my first business as a distributor. So I started importing uh I, I would I call it kids new and different wheeled goods. So I was selling a man in a van going around selling um, different uh, kind of skateboards and things like that. Anything non-bike, non but anything that you'd find in a bike shop that wasn't a bicycle, I would be selling it to the bike shops all around Ireland. Um, so that, that was an import and distribution company. Um, our best product at the time was, was a product called the KMX cart that was quite popular um, way back in 2004, five, six. Uh, so I, I was basically an importer, distributor. Um, then after that, that business grew um, pretty rapidly, actually, but then got into trouble in the recession, uh, 2008, 2009, and had to start again with, um, with nothing uh, from the bedroom and actually started out by um, kind of taking the knowledge that we had um, in, in the distribution company and we wanted to design and develop our own products. So we we started uh, actually selling all around the world. We started, we developed a product called the Y-Bike and uh, got it designed, developed and sent to China to get it manufactured and actually started selling it all around the world. Um, it was a kid's um, balance bike. That evolved into a merger with um, the factory that owned the Flickr scooter. So we, oh, yeah. we created a joint venture with them and that company became a company called Yvolution. And we ended up so nobody nobody knows actually that the Flickr was probably it was a really famous product in Ireland. It was probably the probably the best selling, quickest selling, and highest selling toy ever um, in Ireland. Um, it took off after it was, it was like every second kid I think had one after two years. So we actually um, went into a JV with that uh, the owner of that product and, and improved it and created a whole lot of other products behind it. But we actually went and sold it all around the world to. Um, Toys R Us and Walmart. We were supplier of the year to Toys R Us. It's an unknown Irish success story. Wow. Uh, we had about 32 feet of space in, in Toys R Us USA. We were supplier of the year three years in a row. Um, uh, same in Canada, Japan. Um, we were supplying the likes of Halfords, Argos, Tesco, um, all the kind of mid-mass retailers around the world with uh, a range of kind of kids wheeled goods that we were designing and developing here in Ireland. And uh, producing in China. So it, was, it grew very, very big, very quickly. Um, and then that business kind of grew, grew, grew quite quickly. It was probably 2000 and we started the, that launched in 2011 and then up to 2016. That was kind of the, the we were kind of going, what are we going to do now? What, what are we going to do next? We were looking at other categories. We actually looked heavily into electric and decided we were going to launch a consumer brand. So we'd be designing and developing electric um wheeled goods scooters bicycles um more at the end of the adult market and actually right at that time i was in china and saw when the first kind of what we call dockless or stationless bike sharing businesses uh started launching and um i was i was i, I saw these all these bikes you're in shenzhen there was hundreds of thousands of uh dockless dockless bicycles um, but you could right. see how popular they were and you kind of were it was at the time that uber was you know all the hype and I, I basically said to myself this is this is going to be the next uber um 
because it was su such a convenience with so many bikes everywhere you know you just walk out you literally use your app and 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 um and get one but obviously obviously there was lots of problems with that business model there was too much money went into it um and there ended up being mountains of uh of uh bikes in in I, china that went to to landfill um, i was actually it, there at the same those, time sorry yeah i think i've seen some of those photographs of literally like um football fit pitches filled yeah. to the brim 30 feet high with bicycles that are all being dumped yeah it was um it was basically like uh, well, it was kind of the chinese way i mean they, they they were going all at it for for market share and and more bicycles meant you know the mentality was you'd get more users on your bike and they were doing up to all kinds of tricks to be scratching each other's qr qr codes off the bikes and wow and, <laughs> you know moving their bikes in front of the other guy it was kind of the wild west there was no regulation um um around it and i was also in 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 um in california just weirdly at the same time as the first um shared scooter company launch which was bird at the time and uh, they launched in um in um what's that place called santa monica and uh, i saw i saw them taken off there but yeah i i think so what, what was happening around that time is like cities like dublin and european cities were seeing these kind of venture capital fuel companies and they were kind of half afraid and half welcoming the idea of stationless or dockless electric bikes um and there was this kind of like i suppose the approach of some of these companies was raise loads and loads of money and just go put them on the street doesn't matter what happens it's about kind of scale fast and, and figure out profit later whereas dublin um, and a few other cities actually took the approach of okay we like these things but we don't like mountains of bikes <laughs> on our on our streets Room, everywhere uh, and actually in a funny way they were actually kind of way ahead of a lot of other cities and, and where cities are actually moving to now was they i would say cleverly said okay we like this but we want them to be locked to um sheffield you know bike stands yeah, really. yeah we wanted a slow controlled approach we want you to do x amount this year and x amount that year we don't want them taking up you know the the, the pathways and, and the sidewalks and things like that so Ireland, dublin is actually a very good example of of a of doctor's schemes that have actually launched well without much backlash and, and much much of the issues of, of other cities even paris only last year let like 10 different scooter operators into the city and people will tell you if they've been there they'll say it was absolute mayhem with um, scooters literally all over the streets, mm. so um, so what what so that's what they've done. So we, I saw that I got excited about it, and actually three years ago decided I was getting out of the. the well, there was a kind of a, a kind of a, a decision to be made about staying in in Yvolution that, that that business or getting out or or what we were going to do. Would we all sell the business? So it ended up that I I, I sold my shares back to the shareholders because I got very very excited about this space, and I was going to launch. I was going to be one of those companies that actually did. Just put 500 bikes on the streets of Dublin. And I was literally pressing the button to uh, to buy the bikes, uh, and I said, "Ah, oh, look, actually, I'm going to wait here." <laughs> and uh, the thinking was, you know, this could go horribly wrong. Or actually, the thinking was at the time was actually, I think it's going to evolve into electric bikes, and I think some other clever dude is going to come along here. If I have all these bikes on the streets, another dude is going to come along and put um, a load of electric bikes on the street, and it's going to kill my business. So. I'll wait a little bit and, and kind of see what's happened. So I did, I, I, I kind of waited. I was, I, I went to UCD and said, look, can I be an operator there? Um, and in the meantime, what actually ended up happening was Dublin then put out a license for, um, for, for stationless bikes and we applied and we won a license. So I didn't expect that to happen. How many did they put out? They, they have two operators ourselves and uh, another company called Bleeper Bike. Um, yeah. 
So their bleeper bike are the white bikes. So bleeper bike do have a fleet of kind of pedal bikes. So that, and they've started to do really well actually this year because um, fleet size is very important. So, um, you know, they started out with a small fleet, I think 100 or 200, and then they got to maybe 400. But this year they're up to about 700. And, and now you can see it doing doing really, really well. They're getting a lot of good usage um, because, mm. you know, they've got a big fleet in, in the city. Um, and then, so we've come along, we're, we're number two now, and um, we we just, we, we decided electric was the way to go. So um, obviously the bikes are way, way, way more expensive than, um, than a pedal bike. But uh, yeah, we've kind of, we won the license and la- that was la- like last year we were kind of preferred, preferred uh, applicant. So we kind of knew that we'd be winning it. So we s- kind of started going, oh, right, we, and let's let's try and figure out what bikes to go with and what software. So we spent a good few months figuring that out um, and then brought in bikes in November. The idea was to, that we would trial them on DCU and we did that just to, to, to get used to everything. And uh, then we were all set to launch those bikes in Dublin. Um, first of April was the target and um, we were about to do a big launch and uh, coronavirus obviously got in the way of that. Yeah, and, um, timing. We, yeah, I, I think uh, I think you know a bit about it. We we did a, a kind of a what the hell are we going to do now <laughs> kind of thing because there's no uh, no, no, no no people in the city. So uh, we did. We we kind of looked around at what was happening in the industry, and it was pretty obvious that actually bike sharing was booming in a lot in a lot of the markets. The reason being that a lot of people were turning towards bikes or electric bikes or whatever because of coronavirus and trying to avoid transport. Yeah. So at the time we were going into lockdown, and we figured that it would be a better idea to give them out to healthcare workers because they did, they were the ones that actually needed to avoid the public transport the most so we did a campaign and a lot of people donated towards it just to cover our operational kind of costs and insurance and things like that but we gave out, out our fleet then to um healthcare workers and had to manage that and you know do the battery swapping with them every day and, and things like that and um and, and swap their bikes for them and, and things like that but uh, yeah we gave workers and um yeah that that was uh that was, I suppose, a good thing to do, and we got a, got a, got a bit of publicity out of it as well. And um, we had some bikes left over, and then in May we we put some of those on the street. Literally, just said, let's put. We might as well do something with them, so we put them on the street, and uh, started kind of piloting, I suppose, in Dublin because we didn't want to launch until we had some kind of visibility on where coronavirus was going. So officially today we're still piloting, although we have got ninety, up to about ninety or hundred bikes now on the street. Um, because they've come back from the healthcare workers. So we've been operating. Um, so we've gone kind of gone from the 20 in May up to about 100 now. And um, it was a bit weird at the start. You know, we were kind of, even though we'd done the trial in DCU, we weren't ready for a lot of what, what actually did happen when we started operating. And um, But all of that's been ironed out now. And um, mm. it's pretty smooth. You know, bikes bikes are, you know, every, every day we have a couple of bikes have to come in to get fixed up, whether it's punctures or different issues and then they have to go back out again um so right now we're very happy actually with with the results of you know on a revenue basis how much we're generating we the, the metric is the key metric is how much per bike per day are you generating and we are very happy with that because it's ahead of what we hoped in a non-coronavirus world um i'm not sure if we were under projecting or if maybe coronavirus has something to do with it but we think we're in a very strong position for when the world does come back to normal. Like we're missing tourists. A large part of our business should be tourists and we're missing, of course, commuters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So despite 
despite that, we are ahead of where we hope to be. So that that's very encouraging um, um, for when when the fleet expands. Um, so we're, I think I think the fact that they're electric bikes maybe is what is what's happening. I don't think that maybe a part of it is that people are using the bikes instead of a bus or public transport, but our fleet is so small that it's hard to actually say that um, you know you can that the um, the reason is they're avoiding the bus because you can't actually rely on our fleet to to use instead of a bus every day because we only small. yeah it's too small at um, the moment anyway yeah fingers crossed <laughs> uh, tell me this uh, Thomas just to kind of go back a little bit you, you mentioned that you came out of college um, what did you study because it sounds like you've got a good kind of design head for um, no I actually studied business but my strength would be kind of more marketing and. Pr product i mean yeah product, product it's it, i mean the first impression i get when you're talking about all these things that became like massive sellers and stuff is that you clearly yeah. have an eye to see a product yeah you know, that, that's what a lot of people would say I have, a, I have a really good eye for product and then kind of putting putting everything around that together to make it marketable and, and that kind of thing so that uh, a product guy would be how, how i'm describing <laughs> <laughs> and, and tell me this, I mean, a lot of the, our listeners are people that would be interested to sort of set up their own business. And, um, you know, ha just going back to the point where you suddenly got interested in what you saw in China. I mean, how do you go from thinking this is a great idea to, you know, the next stage? Like, what was your next step when you saw that Um well, I, I was in a. If, if I, I think if I, I was in a different position because we had already got a company and it had profit and, and money and things like that. But I'd say, like the next day, the, it was different for me. I was like, how the hell do I get out of that business so I can do this? But if it's something, somebody that just saw the thing and was like standing start, is that is that what you mean more like? Well, yeah, I'm just. I mean, for example, your bikes. I mean, I think I asked you before we kind of started recording. Is uh, you know, did you? I, you know, where do you get the bikes? Do you buy them all in China? Is it one supplier or are you, you know, because the bikes yeah. have this yellow, um, they're very easily to spot. But yeah. I haven't noticed yeah. that. Look, there's, there's, obviously, if you've got the money um, to, to buy them or, or you can give personal guarantees, that's important. That The hardest part of this business is actually the financing. It's very capital intensive. So um, traditionally, so all the big, like I said, those big companies in uh, China raised billions, like literally billions in, in venture capital money. Um, same with the guys in, um, in in Silicon Valley. And actually what they were doing was that that equity, that money was being used to buy bikes. And that's wrong in a way. You should never be using equity for, for you know capital costs. It yeah. should be net really or asset finance. Um, but nobody's doing asset finance for electric bikes or bikes or scooter electric scooters. And I actually think that's a huge opportunity in the world. Um, uh, but that's another conversation. But um, <laughs> um, um, but um, yeah, so that that's the hardest part. So equity is going into to to so they're raising money, a lot of money, and they're using that money to, to buy bikes and put them on the street. Um, maybe with the view that you know you know we need to we can't we've no other option. But it it inflates your valuation, um, and then you have to really perform then after that. But um, so so uh buying a bike so yeah there's multiple there's many different options um you know you can go to there's many different options for sharing bikes we 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 actually went with our supplier because they were european based and uh, they're from prague and we felt that we could trust them I, you know obviously I, i've had um experience in china in the past but i didn't want to dive in and spend a whole lot of money buying bikes from china um with a, a supplier that i had no track record with 
Mm. And um, that was the that was probably the biggest deciding factor for us was these guys were kind of based in Europe, European contract. Um, if there was a problem, they'll fly over to us, so we'll fly over to them. It'll be an hour an hour flight. There's always problems with hardware, um, so that I knew that that would be inevitable. So um, that was very important. I didn't want to be dealing with somebody halfway around the world. That was probably the biggest deciding factor about what to do. But there are plenty of options um, with with electric bikes. There's probably a lot more coming on on the market now. A lot of the big companies they focused on scooters because that was the big hype. But there's a lot more bike options now arriving on the market as well. But you know, you can go to get an agent in Hong Kong. He'll take you around twenty different Chinese factories tomorrow that can supply you with scooters and, and bikes. It's not it's not hard. Yeah, yeah. So there's plenty of choice out there. And I mean, in terms of what would you say is the most important step, the next step? I mean, is it mapping out the strategy so you can talk to investors or is it proof of concept? And what was your thinking in terms of the stages you need to go to kind of turn this into a uh, real we, we felt We felt we needed to prove it. So we, we, like we, we were about to raise equity funding even before, um, uh, just before coronavirus as well. And um, but on you know the, the the presentation at the time was we think we can do this, um, so and and we we are basing all that on you know evidence from other markets. So when an electric bike sharing scheme launches in London or in in Paris or wherever, here's the metrics. They're te- they're typically two or three times more popular than the, the 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 pedal bike scheme. So that means that we should be getting ten rides a day, generating two or three euro per ride. That means our revenue can be X, and then our costs should be Y. But it was all based on assumptions. Yeah, assumptions. But I think they're valid assumptions and good assumptions because you can just refer to other markets. So it was still, it was still a good story back then. But now, um, it's probably easier because we have got them on the. You know, it's more, it's real, and we actually are performing really well in a in a in a place probably where we, where we don't have half our half our business is not there. So um, yeah, I think. I think proving it is, is better, um, and then a lot a lot of more investors will definitely jump at that point. Um, and so you've 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 got it to this stage by bootstrapping it yourself, paying for everything your, yourself. You haven't got any angel investors involved, is that right? Yeah, no, it's all been myself. Yeah, so I put in my own money and got. Um, I, I managed to get a little bit of asset finance, but it was personal guarantees up against it as well. Okay. The dreaded personal guarantee. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Ever since two thousand and eight, I never want to hear that word again. <laughs> the, um, but now yeah. it's now it's more believable. Yeah. So so. Well, I mean, that's it. You've got hard evidence to kind of back it up, I guess, which is a great thing. Yeah. And um, and like, just from looking back now at the last couple of months, are there any standout kind of moments that really kind of were pivotal in your in making the business? Uh, you know assumptions you made or you know learnings that you've had that kind of really oh yeah look it looks like a sexy business it's got an app and everything right so it looks really sexy and you can up walk up to a scooter and rent it and or walk up to a bike and rent it and go i suppose the 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 daily grind is 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 not you know romantic vision of this type of business you don't you never think about the daily grind of customers you know and 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 people bikes having to be fixed and things like that so it's not so sexy uh, when you're in it um as it looks from the outside yeah yeah it does a lot of people think these businesses are, are cool and all that um but but uh, like like i never expect like i never I, I never expected you know like our software probably needs to be improved like we had, we did have some issues with payments and things like that but 
people when you wake up in the morning and there's two emails of customers that have complained it's quite disheartening actually <laughs> yeah, i never had that in my last business because it was more of a b2b business so i never yeah. had people going oh you're, you know this that and the other and you know this was wrong and that was wrong but it's probably two out of 200 people so it's like you know and, and, and you know the, the you, know, you talk to other operators and they go look that's just part of the business but it was just it was just yeah. well, as we were saying earlier when you the reality is, is that when somebody's had a great experience, they tend not to write to you to let you yeah, know. Yeah, if they've yeah, had a bad yeah. one, you just have to hear that. It's a mental thing every day to go, oh, yeah. You know, I wish the other 198 people who had, who had a good time would write in as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's um, important that people here understand that because, yeah, it can be pretty disheartening. And yeah. you got to kind of build a resilient uh, mindset around. Yeah. Kind of exactly. stuff. Yeah. So that, that, that's annoying. You know, bikes. You know, physically having you know buying parts and and getting mechanics to fix them or fixing them yourself, you know it is it's a bit it's it's a there's a daily grind there, all the time that just doesn't look like there is kind of. Um, and do you have a team built around you now, or you know? yeah 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 we've got uh, I think we've got I mean the way the business works is you scale it with with your fleet size so depending on the amount of bikes you have you need a certain amount of mechanics, right? And a certain amount of customer service and guys going around swapping batteries so. But it's in terms of the when you when you started the business, was it just you, or did you have a co-founder or any of that? No, it's, it was just me, just me. Um, and then I've given some some small shares to some of the the staff that I brought in, as well. Um, and, and in terms of the technical side, so the, the software and stuff, is that something that you've developed yourself, or are you are you hiring in? A... No, we we hire we we just we rent it. It doesn't make sense to develop ourselves. You need to you want to have a lot of like it would cost three, four hundred grand to develop something like that. So it doesn't make sense um, for where we're at. We, we would rent it from other people. And the benefit you have there is that like, like people that specialize in software, they deal with hundreds of operators around the world. So everybody's asking for different features and new features. So you get the benefit of a hundred people asking for things that will improve their business um, versus, you know, one guy kind of stuck in a in Dublin, you know, thinking this is the, the right way to go. Um, yeah, yeah. But at a certain point, if we had a large fleet, just from a cost perspective, it probably makes more sense to develop in-house um, um, in, in the future. But again, that's that's probably another year or two away at this point. Um, yeah. But if we had 10,000 bikes, it would be silly to be paying seven euro per bike per month when we could probably just develop the same thing in-house. And tell us this then, the, the expansion, like, Dublin is the current market. What's the plan then? Have you got kind of like a, a plan for the next three to five years? Is it is, is the intention to kind of go national or international? What's the next step for Moby? Uh, I think I think um, like the way this space is working out at the moment is it's very much VC fueled, and I think and, and a lot of the like what's very important is is um, lifetime of the the vehicle. And scooters, everyone's got this hype about scooters because they, they all saw um, a lot of money poured into it, but they've all got problems now because scooters don't last very long. And they mm -hmm. are also a little bit of a hype, so they do get used a lot straight away. So the hockey stick was there at the start and, and VCs are putting in all the money going, this is this is the future. But if you look at markets where they've been around now for a while, people tend not to use them because really they're only replacing walking. But I think what you're going to see down the line is that bikes will become more relevant so i think what and but a lot of the operate a lot of operators around the world are not profitable because they went with um scooters so i think what's important from what we're thinking of doing is um 
getting getting to profitability very 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 quickly in Ireland and and kind of really you know the opportunity we have is actually because there is a license here in Dublin for only two operators is that we can actually be profitable as a result a lot of the time when you're if you're going into Paris you're up against 10 other people and everybody was fighting for the same revenue I think there's going to be consolidation I think there's a private equity uh, roll-up strategy down the line and I think what's important in order to get you in ready for that would be to get profitable very very quickly um, in one market and then start looking at you know other markets where there's opportunities and maybe somebody wants to sell their business or whatever and start doing a kind of a roll-up strategy mm -hmm. that way I don't think the I think the idea of rocking into Bristol tomorrow and putting 500 bikes on the street without a permit you know or trying to get a permit is, is probably not the way to go I've also seen one of the issues that I mean just talking about the difference between a, a bike whether it's a pedal bike or electric bike but the difference between them and a scooter is first of all the size of the wheels I've seen a lot of guys out there on these little scooters but if you hit a stone or something like that on a wheel that's you know just small and you go straight off it whereas bicycle wheels will at least absorb a lot of that stuff. yeah the form factor is wrong they probably they, like if you were to do it right you'd probably really have to look at uh, you know if i was to if somebody if the law was to change in ireland it should change with somebody kind of looking at specking the right vehicle as well um one very fundamental difference between a scooter and a bike is you can't indicate on a scooter so you can't put your arm out um, yeah tell the driver behind you that you're going right or left so i think i think I don't think, I think a vehicle that goes 25 kilometers an hour and you can um, press a button to do that, I think there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I just think that the current form factor is wrong, um, especially for Ireland. So I would think that if they are going to legalize it, they should really think it through and maybe get into the detail of what exact vehicle they're going to legalize um, mm -hmm. here. And also, yeah, we would, We, you know, what I said about scooters, like also, like we probably still would apply for the license if it came up and that's really to protect our own business. I'm not a believer in them. Um, long term, but I don't want at the same time somebody else being an I operator. Understand. Well, I speak to the the, the occupiers here in, in in East Point, and one of the things that we hear a lot of is that you know people are bringing their scooters into the office and bringing them up and putting them onto their desk and stuff. Whereas you yeah. don't have that problem with the bicycles. You you leave them out. We have bicycle, you know, uh, racks and we have sheds and stuff. And people will lock their bike out there, put you know, put a chain on it or whatever. But a, but a scooter, they feel like they have to bring it into the office and it's yeah. causing a problem with the uh, the management. They don't like to see these scooters lying around and stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's kind of, I wonder why that is. Is because they don't have a lock on them, probably. But, uh, or it's just a mental thing, is it? Well, I also think it's difficult to attach a lock to a scooter sometimes. It is, yeah. It is, yeah. yeah. Because yeah, the way yeah. it's designed doesn't have too many you know, points of locking. Yeah. Um, I wanted to get into um, in just we were talking about the different you know applications that you can have you know rather than it just being sitting out on the street we were talking about dedicated subscription model where somebody like me who runs a business park can actually enter into a contract with you where you provide exclusive use for our occupiers to, yeah. to use bikes i mean are there any other aspects of the business that you're kind of thinking outside the box and yeah i know there's, there's lots of verticals so a lot of people will say that the street scheme so that's why i talk about scaling as well so like a lot of these other companies they kind of said okay we're going to scale and, and do this street scheme what i call a street scheme putting bikes on the street hoping people will rent them or, or scooters and they've just that that's one vertical of of, of the space um, and they've all they, what they've done is tried to do that in many cities all at one time 
Whereas if you look at just doing one city and get into all the verticals, so the other the other way of looking at it is the street scheme is what legitimizes you in the city and it's your kind of your marketing. But all the other verticals then are things like um, there are many uh, dedicated schemes for employers, dedicated schemes for people like yourself uh, who run um, large business parks, uh, property developers who are developing new properties. Um, they're all. I, I, I believe there's murmurings that it's going to become mand- mandatory now that uh, um, when you're getting trying to get planning permission for a new property that you have to have some kind of shared mobility scheme or shared bike scheme even in in your application um but property developers are are, are, are okay with that um, they actually like the idea because it, it helps them in a big way as well um there's the delivery drivers who all need to get kind of rentals of, of bikes so subscriptions to them there's the general public um so there's a new kind of thing happening called the, it's called the netflix of of bikes or electric bikes basically you subscribe to a bike instead of owning one and there's a whole lot of benefits to that business uh, from a consumer perspective as well. So instead of having to fork out two or three thousand euro to, to to buy an electric bike that might get stolen and you're going to have lots of maintenance issues, you just subscribe to one. It arrives at your door, anything goes wrong, it's it's swapped the next day. Um, and the, generally, the cost of subscription should outweigh the cost of ownership when you add up all the costs. That's another vertical. We've 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 been dipping our toes into that and into the delivery business at the moment. And then we've had a lot of inquiries from um employers as well who want to figure out how to do dedicated schemes for their staff when when um when they start to return to the office as well um it's, it's something that's quite common so you so if you you know somebody like yourself or somebody who's de- developing a property or a large employer basically anybody in your property or in your business park or, or in your uh in your company can basically there's a, a set amount of bikes that we supply to you could be 20 bikes could be 100 bikes those hundred bikes can be branded for your business or your development, and um, then you will only people who you want to access those bikes will be able to access those bikes, and they'll be, they'll be able to take them around the city to go to meetings. They'll be able to take them home to go to and from work, or they'll be able to take them to and from the the dart station or the train station as well. So it's uh, basically slight. The, the big the main difference is that it's there all the time and it's reliable. And, um, mm, yeah. and and only your 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 staff or whatever can can access it. Um, well, so, so the big thing now is the final mile. It's you know we've got uh, the bus service you know around the city and the train service and all that. But a lot of people, um, it's the final that yeah. final journey, that final mile between the train station and the place. That's where it's difficult. And yeah. we have a. Um, you, you believe that the future of the world is like everyone's trying to get rid of the car and get around on public transport. So if you, in theory, believe that that's the future. Um, the problem is you, you might own your own bike. Let's say you live out in Lucan and you have to go to, or Blanchestown, you have to go to the, the station then, you have to leave your bike there, then you get on the train. And then when you get off, you've got nothing to connect you with that last mile. Um, and that's where we come in. Um, yeah. or should. Um, so so um, there isn't enough space, obviously, to carry. If everyone's going to move towards bikes and, and public transport, there's no space on buses and trains to carry these things around with them. It's... So one of the things that I've heard recently, I mean, since since COVID-19 struck, obviously, a lot of people have stopped taking public transport and they've moved to walking and taking bicycles. And, and I, I heard somebody talking about their business being, they sell bicycles, their business has been up 500% this year. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, Absolutely it's, crazy. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge... Yeah, that's on. That's that's not on. Five hundred percent sounds a lot, but yeah, most people are up at least three hundred percent. Yeah, in the bike business, um, consumers on, on the consumer side, 
it's incredible. I mean, and the thing is, is it just it just goes to show that, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. Like somebody out there is making money on some aspect of COVID nineteen, whereas everyone else is out there furloughed, staff, and and all that kind of stuff. Is there any? Um, I mean, on your journey through here, are there any kind of lessons that you learned that really stood out to you as something that you know? You know, I wish I'd known this. Well, you mentioned earlier that the glamorous side of the business is, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't outweigh the, uh, the the hard grind. But is there any other aspects, or is there any advice that you've received that stands out as uh, that really made a big difference to me? Um, in this particular space. Well, any just generally. I mean, I talk about the you know resilience and restraint and patience and discipline and business and things like that. Oh, look, business is hard. I mean, business is very very hard. And no matter what way you you you, you picture it, it's never going to be that way. Um, and it's far 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 tougher than you think. It's probably, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do is, is start your own business. So um, and you're you're going to have really good days and then the next day is a really bad day. It's just part of part of being in business and you have to be able to withstand that um and not a lot of people can but uh no it's uh it's yeah, uh, the resilience is super important because i yeah. i mean it's there's this glamorous side to calling yourself an entrepreneur and to kind of say oh i'm a founder and stuff and people kind of think oh yeah i want that and, and the reality is is not everyone is cut out for it the Mar mark zuckerberg effect um, yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's, i don't know how much you know you read into all that kind of stuff, but they, they call it the Mark Zuckerberg effect. A lot of younger generation people believe that they're entitled to, you know, equity and everything like that when they walk in the door because they could go out and start a business tomorrow because Mark Zuckerberg did it and he's in their yeah. face. But when we were young, there was a rich guy in time, but he had worked his ass off and he was 60 years old <laughs> and everybody, everybody respected him. But today, Mark Zuckerberg is there in everybody's face and he's 30. And yeah, so, it's incredible. Like the guy was a billionaire before he hit 30 and, and so there's this assumption that oh yeah that's what oh, i'll do yeah yeah and i should get equity for for kind of showing up at nine o'clock in the morning <laughs> that's, that's a big problem the future of uh human human resource managers are already worried about it um, yeah, well it's funny you say that because i can remember hearing a story when when facebook shares were, were being floated on the market that they had at one stage they wanted to paint their headquarter building and they got a, a graffiti artist to come in and do this big kind of graffiti kind of wall uh, mural or something like that and he they they said look we've got no money to pay you but we'll give you shares and the guy said yeah okay fair enough and so when when the ipo happened i think the guy made 50 million oh um, my god off of that yeah i mean just because he was there and he decided to take equity instead you know yeah, speaking sure. of equity i am um, we were going to talk about just you're doing an equity crowdfunding thing now and I'd just love to hear what your thoughts are on that and um, and how because it's not been done in our space but just to describe our space when 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 you've got a couple of operators who come into your city um you know are, are trying i've used I, I go back to bristol there could be three companies there ourselves and two other guys you know lime or bird or or it could be anybody but generally in this space there's no differentiator between the uh, the companies um, maybe you'll have downloaded somebody's app first because they they landed there first, but in general there's no brand there's no loyalty to any company there's no brand loyalty it's very hard to differentiate the hardware is more or less the same people do try and differentiate with their hardware but the following year the next you know if if somebody comes out with some good hardware um, or something a better bike or a better scooter then everybody will have that 
six months later anyway. So it's very, very hard. There's no moat, um, I suppose, and there's there's no way to lock people in. And nobody's done, I, to my knowledge anyway, nobody's done what we're about to do, which is what we're going to do is equity crowdfunding. And, um, the re, you know, we could go and raise a lot of money from investors, private investors who want to put in 50,000, 100,000 each, or we could go to hundreds of investors and get a thousand euro or a hundred euro each. And those people are actually the people in the, on the, I call it the streets of Dublin who would actually use our, our, our bike service. And I think that's a great way to a get, get everybody involved. So if, if, if we could get a thousand or 10,000 people investing a hundred euro, that's a million, that's a million euro of equity um, that we've raised from, from our, our customers. Those co- they're now locked into, Hey, I, I've invested in this company. So I'm going to use Moby versus Lima bird. Um, they're also um, got to potentially talk about it and share, you know, if we, sh- if we ask them to share it on Facebook and things like that, they're going to become brand ambassadors as well for the business. So I think it's a very valid um, strategy and, and probably the best strategy for this business, but I haven't seen anybody else doing it. And I, I, I kind of use the example of Cork. If we were going to go down to Cork next year, and even if we didn't need to raise any money to do that, or, or even after we did it, I still think it's a very good idea to open a tiny round, you know, 10 grand, um, and just make it exclusive for the people of Cork because they are actually now invested in their own um, electric yeah. bike share scheme, and they're going to use it more as a result and respect it more as a result. You know, maybe the example of seeing a broken bike lying on the street. The, my one of my investors who's invested a hundred euro might actually go and pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> you know that kind of thing. So yeah. I think I think that's a very good way to to. That's the well, it's, I mean, everyone's looking for a return on their money because I just saw there today in the paper that the, that the banks here are going to be charging you now to deposit your money and, and keep it in the mm-hmm. bank. So your savings account is now costing you money. And, um, and so if you're able to give somebody back some sort of a return, we had, um, the, we had the founder of um, Property Bridges on a couple of weeks back and he he wanted to create a product that does peer-to-peer lending so that small developers that can't really get finance from the banks would actually have an opportunity to build schemes here in Ireland. And he would, um, and, and it's been successful and he's able to raise money and a lot of people are throwing in as, as little as 500 euro to kind of crowdfund yeah. basically yeah. loans um, out to developers and stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it I think it does work and it does give people a kind of a brand loyalty kind of sense that yeah. you know, I, I own a share of yeah. these bikes yeah. all around, you know. Yeah. For sure. And we're able to do things like, like obviously, our biggest problem, you know, you've got professional investors. I actually, it's something I need to bring up with my advisor on, on Monday. Um, but the biggest problem we might have, you know, professional investors could invest 10 grand on, on, the, on the equity crowdfunding. They know that that, that's that's kind of money that's put in there and they'll get a return when Thomas sells the company or IPOs or whatever, you know. But that could be two years, it could be 10 years, but the, a professional investor knows that. The biggest question I think we're going to get and I need to figure out how to solve it is potentially the average person who's investing 100 euro or 300 euro. The first question is, when do I get my money back? And obviously we're not a public company. So yeah, that, getting your money back is difficult. Unless what, what, what we are going to do is offer, like it's pretty cool because we're going to be able to offer ride credits and a rebate as well. So the idea would be if you invested a thousand euro or a hundred euro, a thousand euro, you got a 40% uh, rebate on your, like your EIS, but also we could potentially then give you 200 euro or 300 euro worth of ride credits. So actually you've got a thousand euro worth of shares and it's only cost you really 300 euro. That's pretty, pretty cool as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
300 euros worth a thousand and your thousand might be worth 10,000 in, in a few years time. And then you've got plans to expand internationally. Would you use the same way to fund that? Um, we will. I think. I think it's. A, I think. Uh, obviously, we'll get some professional investors in later. But I think I, I really like the idea. If you know of opening small rounds for every city we go into, yeah. Mm. So. And then the likes of the you know Enterprise Ireland here in, in Ireland. You know, the, you've got these guys that are great sources of funds for for startups and stuff like that. You haven't tapped them yet for anything. It's, it's all. Not fun. yet. No. Um, not yet. I have just. Sent in the application though. So oh, okay. So uh, watch this space. Yeah. So like they could potentially match fund the um the equity crowdfund. So yeah, I've just sent it in. Um we like we, we we didn't there was no urgency to raise money, so we, we weren't it wasn't something that was like I needed to do in a hurry. Um so it's been a slow uh process fund, fundraise. Um, yeah. because, um the other the other thing I've looked like on that peer-to-peer. And I, me- I think I mentioned it earlier in the asset finance. I had a conversation with somebody earlier, saying, "Well, why don't we why don't we set up an asset finance division slash company where people could essentially, you know, put in for fi- you know, let's just say easy numbers: fifty grand is fifty bikes. So, um, fifty somebody puts in fifty grand and they get five percent back uh, interest, and it's repaid over three or four years. A bike is is a, is a is always resellable. It never, it's actually not going to lose its value because that bike." That thousand euro is worth two or three thousand euro at retail. So even in three or four right. years time, the bike is still worth a thousand euro. So you put in your fifty grand and you get five percent a year, and that that then asset finances, let's say our company or even other companies like us. Mm-hmm. So so, um, so and they get you know finance by you. We could put their name on the bike, and it's a good thing. You know, it's a good thing to do for the world and all that kind of stuff. It's a good ethical investment, but it just doesn't exist, and it's frustrating that asset finance doesn't exist in this space and i think it's a massive opportunity because the bike business is worth you know 40 or 50 billion and i think the, i think people are going to move towards shared bikes subscription bikes and things like that and there's no there's nothing there's no asset finance around behind it um, interesting yeah well i hear you know they're talking about tesla cars and the fact that you could actually have your tesla making money for you when you're when you know you you drive home you get out of your car and then the car goes out and auto drives basically picking up fares. <laughs> really? Actually, yeah, they're, they're talking about this kind of a fleet membership thing where you actually, you enroll your own car into the fleet so it goes out and services and it can actually become like an Uber driver automatic. You know, obviously this is a few years away when, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, driverless cars are, are a thing, you know. But I can see, I've heard already that in I think the state of Nevada, in uh, the US, I think there are taxis there that have already done 75,000 miles of testing with passengers in the car. Um, Now they have a driver who's there ready to take over if there's an issue, but the actual car has driven like autonomously 75,000 miles now. So it it does seem like this is becoming a, a, a reality for the future. And here, I'd say 10 years still, though, but uh, yeah, at least 10 years before we'd see it here anyway. But, yeah, uh, I do think it's a while because, uh, you know, people just it takes time for people to get adjusted in their mindset and stuff. Yeah. Tell us, uh, Thomas, the equity crowdfunding that is, is that live or is that going live? Is that um, uh, it's on going on Tuesday? Um, what day is today? Today's the 15th of October, so yeah, Tuesday the 20th, it should be on um, 
spark crowdfunding they're they're uh, like crowdfunding I, the irish kind of there's crowd crowdcube in the uk and cedars but spark crowdfunding is the irish version of that okay well i'll put a link in the description below um so if anyone wants to check that out they can do that um finishing up thomas um just was going to ask you is there any books or any kind of resources that have stood out for you as being super helpful in your in your journey over the years does anything i like i'm a big fan of steve jobs he's a product guy (laughs) but uh so I, i i read all his books um so uh, Richard Branson as well. A lot of a lot of his books. I can't I can't tell you that the names are just over here on the like a virgin. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the, the, uh, business Tom. biographies basically around specific iconic figures like Steve Jobs yeah. and Richard Branson. Yeah, yeah they've been they've been they've been what I read. You know, every every Christmas when I go home, I take a few of those books and read them. Yeah, one of my favorites growing up was uh, reading about Howard Hughes. The, um, uh, the airplane American guy, right? aviator, yeah, and he was an aviator and a filmmaker, and uh, then he got into all sorts of stuff. He got into airlines, and um, he, he, right. bought, he, he was the owner of TWA, I think it was, and uh, I mean, it's just He's incredible story. Very eccentric fellow, wasn't he? Super eccentric. He used to he used to lock himself away for months and not seeing anybody because he was scared of germs. Funny nowadays that we're in this coronavirus situation, but he literally lived in this room and his nails would grow like to kind of like six inches long and his hair would grow down his back and everything. And then he'd suddenly like say, okay, I'm finished now. And he'd like shave and cut it all and he'd be back out like a swashbuckling kind of uh, (laughs) entrepreneur and just a bizarre guy, but a fascinating read. Um, for anyone who's interested in biography. There's a movie. There's, is it, there's a movie about him, isn't there? Yeah, it was uh, Leonardo DiCaprio played him right, in yeah. Aviator. Yeah, but that only covered the initial, the rise of Howard Hughes. It didn't cover the fall of Howard Hughes. Right. And the fall of Howard Hughes is just as long as the rise. I mean, he went, he became kind of a recluse around the age of 40, 45, but he actually went on to 76 when he died. So he spent 30 years as a recluse and um, a billionaire recluse, basically. And he would buy hotels. He would buy like the entire top floor. He'd buy an entire hotel so that he could stay in the hotel. (laughs) And he would take the whole top floor for his staff and stuff. But he didn't lose his fortune or whatever, did he? No, uh... when he died, he was one of the richest men in the world. Uh, In fact, he was the richest man in the world when he died. but nobody had seen him in 30 years and um, he was flying around in a private jet and like he had staff that would go into a hotel in advance and they'd blank out the windows so that he nobody could see him and that, that no daylight could get into the get into the bedroom and all this kind of stuff and uh, i mean really fascinating story but completely cuckoo like you know <laughs> well, he, he, he did it he, he created a great company from from nothing was it um yeah well it was his his father um created the drill bit and um, the the original drill bit that yeah. oil companies use he created that and he did like basically a, a lease agreement so that instead of buying the bill drill bit you had to lease it from him and so all these oil companies were paying a fortune for this and it became a very powerful company and he inherited it at the age of 16. oh wow yeah as an only child you could get finance for drill bits yeah 
That's it. <laughs> Thomas, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much. If anyone wanted to reach out to you or if you wanted to learn more, what's the best way to connect with you or to find you online? Uh, Thomas at MobyMove.com. MobyMove.com. Yeah. Um, MobyMove.com is the website. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And Thomas at MobyMove.com. Great. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Gavin. Pleasure. Thanks a lot, Thomas. Take it easy. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Thomas O'Connell of Moby Move. I've put a link to his website and to the Spark crowdfunding website that he mentions about his uh, equity funding, crowdfunding that he's going to be doing this week. Um, that's Spark crowdfunding. It's going to be in the show notes. I didn't see a link to it, uh, to his actual campaign at the time of recording this. So, uh, but I may drop in that link at a later stage. So depending on the time that you're listening to this podcast, you might um, find that there is a link below. So that's it, guys. That is it for episode 25. I can't believe I've actually made it to episode 25. When I started this thing out, the average of most podcasts, I think they say if you make it to episode 7, you're in the top 90% or something like that. So uh, anyway, I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. If you have any suggestions, questions, topics you'd like me to cover, please, by all means, drop a note to me, either in the Facebook group or you can find me on LinkedIn, Gavin J. Gallagher and Twitter and all of the various places. I'm, I'm across them all under the handle Gavin J. Gallagher. Thanks again for listening. If you have anything you would like to do for me, the one thing I would ask is that you please consider that review. And um, if, if not a review, at least share this podcast out with a friend that you think might find it valuable. Um, but the review really helps with discovery and helps us get out there helping more people. If you would like to join the Facebook group again, that is Behind the Facade Community. I'm active in the group with videos and I answer all of my members' um, questions. Whenever they drop a question, they always get a response from me and often I'll turn it into uh, an actual podcast. And lastly, if you want to find out more about me and all the various things like that, I strongly suggest that you sign up to my newsletter, which you will find by going to my website, gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go. So that's it, guys. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. It's uh, it's dragged out a bit longer than I expected, but we're back down doing the longer podcast. So hope you're enjoying it. Until next time, have a great week. Mm-hmm.